Um, and then it was just like musical royalty all in the same building. You know, you've got Michael Jackson's in Studio One. I'm in Studio Two with Springsteen. You've got P. Diddy on three and Elton John on four, I think it was. And um, I'm in this the lift, which is like huge. Yeah. And I'm sure it was made of gold. This posse all comes in, full of bling, everything. You know, holds the door open and then this group of people walk in with one really tall guy in the middle and yeah. the really tall guy in the middle is P. Diddy. Welcome back to the Session Recall Podcast. On today's episode, what I just want to talk about, obviously, from the previous episodes, we've talked a little bit about how we got to where we are today. Of all the sessions over the last few years, like from like Rockfield in the early days up until today, what have been some of your most like memorable sessions, your favorite sessions that you've been working on? Well, mem- memorable and favorite are kind of two different things, really. There's some that are very memorable yeah. for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, but favorite sessions, oh, I mean... They're all my favourites, John. All of them. <laughs> no, um, I guess there's the obvious ones. So if you, and for obvious reasons. So what's the story? You know, massive record, iconic album, massive band, kind of changed everybody's lives. Kind of changed, gave me a great career as well. Changed my life as well. So that and be here now, just as you know, how insane and how massive that album was. But so there's those few obvious ones, and the second come in, have we talked about? And so. That was one of my first, so it means a lot to me. Plus, it's an amazing album. Getting to meet those guys, being involved in, you know, another bit of music history there. Early on, like the Ash one that we yeah. talked about, the 1977, just because how much fun it was and brilliant songs, and that's you know such a fantastic album. So we've kind of touched on those, I guess. But there's um, ones we maybe haven't talked about, which kind of like favourite sessions. I've worked with like Thunder for many, many years. Great friends of mine, great guys. Uh, Luke's an amazing songwriter. They're all so well prepared when they come in the studio. So it's always a pleasure working with them. There's nothing, there's nothing you worry about before going in. You know the songs are going to be good. You know when everyone knows. Yeah. You know everyone knows what they're doing. The organisation is second to none. Relaxed, you know, just great fun. Brilliant guys to be around musically. It's so good to be involved in. So any of their album sessions you could pick, really, because if if you just said to me you could only work with Thunder for the rest of your career, oh, I'd be a very happy man. <laughs> you know, you know, it's going to be an amazing experience. So, yeah, and I suppose out of all their sessions, maybe the Please Remain Seated album because yeah. it was different and we did it live. And they wanted to use a PA in the room, so everyone had... Um, a monitor in in their little area in their booth and the drums were all in the same room and everything had to be done in the same room the backing singers were brought in the pianos the strings everything so it was all live and different arrangements so getting to hear a lot of those songs that i'd grown up with and kind of also worked on being rearranged and pulled about done in different styles and so watching them create music they wouldn't necessarily usually create out of their other songs and um yeah and just from an engineering point of view quite um you know, more challenging than usual to try and get it live with all the spill going down acoustics. You know, you've got PAs blasting down acoustics, the drums blasting down the vocal mics, all that kind of stuff. And Rockford yeah. aren't the biggest live room, so you can't really put everyone 
far apart. So, but the vibe was them guys in a room for a few weeks, just playing live and capturing it live. Um, and great fun. I remember it was really hot summer. So the doors were open we were having barbecues. It was just real memorable session and great fun and some, and something yeah. a bit different so on that one. When, whenever like yeah. you hear a band going, oh, can we bring a PA system in straight away? There's always like, oh shit, I don't really want to, how did it like, what kind of PA system were they using? What was it? What was different about this that made it kind of work? Well, I think they'd used uh, the Bose system somewhere else, maybe, and they'd kind of um, the, the sticks, and so they kind of liked it when they used it, and it was like, let's get rid of the headphones so we can get the the, fe the feel of the room, and also so we can communicate, because they're working on stuff a um, lot easier without the headphones to communicate and to just be sat there, and then start, let's mm -hmm. try it like this, and then just go, and rather than everyone messing with headphones and um so that was the thinking behind it uh and everyone you get kind of little mixers anyway so i they all had their own mixers for their own pa so they could do it themselves like you can with the headphones i guess but um being able to feel the energy in the room and the kind of room sounds and you know that that feeling of removing yourself from the kind of insular way of recording with headphones to um to using that but obviously that comes with challenges of lots of you know for the five different pas blasting out in a room as well as a drum kit so yeah it came with came with challenges but that was the decision they made and it worked great it worked great and then you kind of you build your mixes as you go along and you incorporate all that um spill and kind of frequencies into it so you're kind of getting an over more of an overall picture as opposed there's not much point really soloing your acoustic and getting a really great sound on the acoustic because as soon as everyone else plays it changes so i would yeah. get the sounds up as a whole and kind of eq it while yeah. listening to pretty much everything um lots of i had through room mics up as well so i had mics up in the corners mic up at 67 the center room all on me um and yeah so great fun to kind of be challenged like that as well but you're working with a great band who can pull it off and if a band's not tight and kind of all over the shop and the drummer's smashing shit out of the cymbals constantly and playing too much all the time then it would have been a lot harder but yeah made I easier the, one of the things with the um with the live recordings in that sense is like if one person makes a mistake you have to think is that bad enough is that acceptable that we can keep it in it's not going to be too much of a problem or do we need to do the whole take again because that's one of the always the, one of the worries and stuff so when they were recording was it was it put a couple of takes down have a listen and like kind of figure out what was what needs to be done or was it just like do a couple move on yeah, they'd, they'd work on it, do a few takes of it, and then say, you know, just tweak the arrangement a bit if it needed it or the tempos or whatever. Um, but I've, I mean, I've worked with Luke the first time I worked with them was 1996. Um, so I was just uh, assistant, studio assistant back then. And uh, so I'd worked with them on and off for, you know, many, many years. And I think. I think Luke is like the king of knowing when to leave things in and when to not fix mistakes. There's always maybe a bit of kind of um, preference from like some of the band maybe to try and fix something because to them it sounds a little bit imperfect or that was slightly out there or that I could have done that there. But he's definitely the king of knowing when to leave yeah. that stuff in and he's always right. Because um, when you get the bigger picture, it doesn't matter those some of those things so especially with that album there was times when you'd have this fantastic take and someone maybe did something they wouldn't usually do but obviously if it works you know luke was there and, it, and would say oh that no that's not going to matter at all because by the time we do this or whatever and time it's mixed like that and that works because of this so that's another great reason to have um someone yeah. like that there 
when you're doing live stuff like that is you can't you know you could do it another 20 you could do it another 20 times but you're not going to get a good a take mm. with as good a feel and just because that one time somebody did something slightly different that maybe wouldn't be their preference then um you know you're sacrificing fixing that bit just to get a take that's not as good um you can you can drop in on on those things you know you can drop in so i think maybe one or two times we would maybe get to an outro where there's a natural point to drop in and then we would drop in and the then whole band together take from there be... um yeah usually uh, or or i might or I might edit takes yeah. together, but they would be live takes. You might edit, you know, you might say, oh, that, mm. that middle section there. But without the clicks, you you know, you have to, it's not just about, is that a better take? Is yeah. Does it work? Is the tempo natural is enough to go from different? that take to that take? So sometimes you would go, yeah, you might think you put a different take in for the middle eight, but actually when you listen to the take back, it's not because it doesn't quite work with it. So actually yeah. the original one was maybe better. So, um, yeah, nice and challenging and, um, but yeah, couldn't really be a better band to work with to to do that kind of record. No, I remember like that yeah. first the first session. I the the first session with Thunder was um, coming in on Wonder Days, and like you'd already done a set already. Um, I think this might have been my second or third album. I think I worked with Fisher's Ed in between at Red Kite, and it was like coming in. I think like Harry had to redo the drums for Thing I Want, and I just remember like coming in just being absolutely blown away just mm. by how prepared and how professional everything was. And you just realize, I remember the thing I always remember from that session yeah. is like, you realize that the guys who obviously came out playing to tape, you had to be yeah. on it. You had to be good. Cause if you weren't, then obviously like editing wasn't as easy. You couldn't just fix it as quickly. And I just remember yeah. being like the whole time just being this, this is just really, really enjoyable. Plus they have catering as well, John, which is always nice because the food's great there. Yeah. And the odd glass of wine. No, <laughs> we don't true. have to yeah, work till four in the morning. It's all very structured, very well well sorted. I think the food helped break it up. Very civilized, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember like after that, I think um Luke came up with Amorettes to Leaders Vale. And I remember asking Luke about the next album. So, yeah. is it going to be another concept album? Because I generally thought that Wonder Days was all about them being young. Because obviously it starts off with like like um yeah it's like first day of school they call me a mistake so i thought it was all about like that and then there was like blackwater i thought it was like someone having like um fair of an older woman or something and just like and it was like oh no i'm not clever for that kind of shit yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I, yeah every center session i would and i've always really enjoyed it i think i popped in on that I had to bring a bottle of wine or something which i copied from luke when he came in for the one of yeah. the other sessions we came in oh, and then so moving on to um other sessions um i, th- I touched on it in the previous episode but um the Arctic Monkey session at Leaders Farm. Brilliant. Again, they're playing live. I know it's only pre-production, but they'd kind of had had a bit of a break from playing. So getting them in a room, getting used to playing together again and just being around those guys who, you know, the Humbug album, brilliant record. And um, yeah, watching them structure songs and write songs and helping them out with that and coming up with suggestions and trying to make the demo sound as good as possible, knowing they're going to Josh Arm, obviously. You know? So, um, and then working and so getting... Get to see those guys write and produce and um, kind of develop their sound, develop their tracks and just being, yeah, blown away by them as a band and how well they played as well. So yeah, that was a great session to be involved in, especially at that time with them when they were kind of, well, they still are up there, but you know, massive at that time. Just before we move on on that one, um, one of the things I've always found that say like I've worked on a record or something, it's gone elsewhere to be mixed or someone else would done. Did you learn any, anything from like, did you ever listen back to what Josh had done at the end of it, at the end of the final productions and stuff? Yeah. 
obviously my demos for the pre-production were just far better <laughs> and they should have just gone with those those original mixes but um you know i understand they needed a name on the album so josh arm's on there so otherwise they probably just would have used my live recordings probably but uh yeah it's great to hear the ideas because we're obviously only yeah. putting basic ideas down and it's quite rough and we're trying things out so finding out when you listen to the final album, which ideas made it, which kind of sounds were kind of similar to what ended up on the album, whether the drum parts changed because we'd work on drum parts, um, you know, and hearing all the extra elements yeah. that someone like Josh would add, um, or not, you know, I'm not entirely sure which was Alex, which was Josh really, because I haven't worked with Alex there doing those. He's so switched on and so full of ideas and such a good producer. Um, so yeah, I would have just loved to have been yeah. in the room with them too and seeing what was you know yeah. them bouncing off each other really yeah so i mean you, you know there's 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 loads of bands like you know that weren't aren't aren't big bands like your oasis and your thunders and your kind of um there's there's bands that uh you just have so much fun with who were you know struggling to make records because they haven't got big record deals and they don't make a lot of money from their touring or from their music but just have an absolute passion for making music and living the dream and being rock stars and just loving it. And sometimes some of those sessions, they, they, they're usually quite difficult because you don't have much time or budget. So you're trying to make the best record you can on a very limited budget. Um, so maybe you haven't had a chance to do too much pre-production, rehearsals, and you've got to record like 17 songs in a day, mix 35,000 tracks in a week, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's those kind of sessions really. So, you, you know, when you look at bands like, I mean, the Burning Crows, Carnage. absolutely amazing to be around in the studio. I mean, so much fun, so much, you know, yeah, a little bit of trouble, a little bit of uh, mentalness going on. Um, it's interesting when you see that kind of mentalness going on and it's not an oasis or whatever, not a band who's got loads of money and loads of hangers-on and A-list celebrities around the place or whatever. It's just us and them and just having the time of our lives making an album because it's absolutely the best thing that they what could ever do is be in a studio with us guys making a record, making rock and roll and living the dream. And that, and it's so infectious. I mean, they are comedy geniuses, especially whips from burning crows, comedy genius, the whole band, funny, amazing to be around. We had such a laugh, such, um, you know, and, and it's kind of like the pressures off. You haven't got to try and impress a label. You haven't got management on the phone and all that kind of thing, but you are trying to make the band bigger and help along their yeah. way and kind of mentor them as well. So, um, it's a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about on session recall is that stuff that we're helping that band get off the ground, but bands like that just absolutely love those sessions. The toy up in Glasgow, those three guys. Wow. I mean, for a start, two of them are amazing chefs. So the food was fantastic. Amazing personalities, kind of sense of humor. Yeah. They just had me well, and you in I stitches. Only, I mean, they just, cause you done just... with, with the toy. <laughs> am I right in thinking you gone and done pre-production with them in Glasgow with Dan? Yeah, so they came, they, we did one EP at Leaders Farm and Dan Hawkins really liked them as well from the darkness. And then he came up to Glasgow and me and Dan Hawkins did the pre-production um, for the album, basically, and then yeah. into Rockfield to record it. And I remember like they came back and we did an EP. And one thing I remember was like on the end of the first day, we were blasting boys to men in the studio and just the three of them had a few drinks and we were just hugging in a circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just, you know, to be part of that. I mean, your sessions like that, when you meet guys like that, you just yeah. know you've just got friends for life. You know, you're people you don't get to see very often because we all lead busy lives and we all live in different countries or whatever. But um, yeah. 
friends for life, you know, and you can get back together and make another record and it's just like that, it clicks and it's like you've never been apart. And I can't imagine um, if they were doing a record, not being involved, you know, not making a record and yeah. we've all re remained friends ever since. No. It, it was just never a dull moment, was it? How those records get made when you spend so much time pissing about and doing pranks and going down the pub. And it's like, actually, we've made I, a really yeah, good record. I just remember like on both well. of those sessions, I just remember laughing for probably about 90% of the time just in, in stitches and i remember like whips obviously yeah with burning crows they had they were doing the the, the kickstarter it was no pledge music or what was the yeah it was doing pledge and obviously pledge, they'd yeah. done the campaigns to fund it and so they had like people coming in and like staying at rockfield with us on the session and then like whips would have to do updates and we moved i remember moving studios from yeah. rockfield for the main drums and bits and pieces and the guitars and then we're going to giant wafer to do the guitars and vocals and Whips basically spent the entire video just yeah. doing Tom Jones impressions, and <laughs> he did. It's it's uh, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's comedy genius. His his YouTube, yeah, the YouTube footage of all that. It's all up there if anyone wants yeah. to watch the the making of. Um, yeah, yeah, he's funny. Isn't he just that. Yeah, he can he can keep up a Tom Jones yeah. impression for about three weeks Bastard. before it starts to, it starts, to, starts to wear off. Literally, the other thing that happened then is that, that triggers then thinking about Estrella, that Christmas the Christmas session where I walk yeah. in the studio. I think yeah, I walk in the studio and everything that I'd needed to use on the computer had been wrapped up in wrapping paper. So I think the speakers are wrapped up, the mouse is wrapped up, the, yeah. the computer and the keyboard is just like, oh, first <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, they're another one. Great, great band. And doing that kind of music as well. So they're living and breathing it and just loving it and being in a place like Rockfield or something, yeah. you know, making that kind of music. Yeah, I mean, there were sessions of Maker, another great band who I had so much fun with making that record, partly at Leaders Farm, partly at Rockfield. Yeah, those bands, those rock and roll bands who, you know, so good and make good records and just drive into... Yeah to get there really but um lovely lovely mm -hmm. people but just so much fun and it makes it easier because don't really drink on sessions but all those ones we just mentioned you end up drinking your enti oh, entire way through it and somehow you can manage to work with with the hangovers and it not really bother you because they get you yeah. through each day with, with the just with their humor um yeah and it's so and that positive vibe you know their positivity and and their and how mm. happy they are to be there recording in somewhere like rockfield making music um, and appreciative how yeah. appreciative they are of it as well it's just infectious and it just uh it's amazing amazing to do make you ever listen back to albums like after you've done them um long enough that you've forgotten like the process and stuff and then literally you listen to a song and it triggers a memory that you've kind of forgotten about. i was like oh okay. yeah that happens i can be listening to a song and i'm transported yeah. back it happens with oasis all the time yeah loads of times i'll be listening a, a playlist will come on and the track that i worked on will come on and it doesn't um you, you, all of a sudden you're just transported back to a moment of that album of that song or wherever you were we can sort of remember what you're wearing you can sort of remember the what happened that day or what what something that we did that was kind of really special and memorable it happened the other day actually it was um hadn't listened to it for a while so I put on um the general ford's army album which um, became daisy flame in the porcelain cage I hadn't listened to that for a while and that album took many years um so i was involved in writing writing and producing that and developing as a development deal with Simon. You've gone, because I remember you saying you'd gone around all over. You've recorded in America? Oh, we recorded, yeah, up in Shropshire at his place, um, in Red Kite Studios, Leaders Farm Studios, um, sure, other studios in England, Rockfield Studios, Leaders Vale, yeah. my house in his garage, in a cupboard in 
Milton Keynes or somewhere, you know. And then we went to America and we recorded in Avatar Studios in New York. Um, we recorded, where else did we go? The Village Recorder in LA, That's which it. is actually my favorite studio of all time. Um, yeah, loved it there. Um, yeah, did stuff there. We did stuff in Paramount Studios in LA. Amazing experience, like we're really good friends. Um, I didn't know him before we made music, but uh, yeah, it was a real journey of um, taking him. When I first started working with him, he was in kind of like a screamy metal band, um, but he always kind of, want, kind of wanted to make this kind of storytelling, folky, kind of Americana, kind of country rock thing. So it was a whole development project of taking this artist who hadn't done that and developing him into this artist that could play a completely different style of music, um, changing out the guitars, switching the you know the les pauls and the marshalls for tellies and kind of um twins and things like that teaching him how to kind of play in that style that finger picking style and teaching someone who was used to singing he's got a great voice but obviously he was scree screaming in this um yeah. kind of metal band but he has a unique sounding voice and he's actually a really good singer so then getting someone who, to sing with all this depth and he's got an amazing character to his voice and then writing bringing different arrangements, how you would usually write songs with the rock arrangements, but bringing them in. And we had a great time working over yeah. year, several years working on arrangements and came up with um, a really good album, really good instrument um, instrumentation, really good album. I remember like, cause that session, cause it, we, you ended up getting the band. It was a Sam Walker. Um, a lot of the guys, I think you've been playing for Fisher's Head. Um, and yeah, we've yeah, been playing with they, John they, Watts because we worked with them. Um, I just remember that because then, like, I remember like that was one of my probably one of my favorite sessions. And again, because it's not like the, one of the most famous ones, mm. but it was just like we. I think was it five days, four days? Well, so it wasn't very long, but it was. I remember it was one of the first yeah. times. It was like you just left me to record in Rockfield, and it's like, and it was right. Yeah, set all the band up. Everyone was playing live in the coach house. Everyone facing each other. I think Simon was in the booth at the end. And, and that was in the Sam Walker yeah, was right. by the windows that like we did Burning Crows. And then we had Piano World where the drum yes. normally goes. We, where the drums normally go. Yes, yeah, so we switched the drum room out. Yeah. And I just remember the like the songs yeah. that they came up with, we try loads of different arrangements, loads of different approaches, and then go, that's the song, that's the version of the song. And like, We'd done some kind of more, more straight ahead kind of country rock stuff up in Leaders Farm. And like we got um, actually Harry and Chris from Thunder playing on those. Um, and then the rest of it kind of me and Simon, uh, we'd kind of done those, but then there was these other songs that we were kind of demoing and doing stuff. And I was like, look, we just need a band to go in and knock these out live and then we'll work on them and overdub, just get the basics down. And I kind of been working with those guys, um, yeah. with John Watts. And, uh, I thought, yeah, these guys just play a bit different to everybody else, especially Sam Walker, the rhythm machine. He's just doing stuff that you wouldn't usually expect to hear. And I thought this is going to work really well. And they were super professional, great players. Um, Matthew and and Matt as well. They were um, brilliant. So, yeah, the plan was we got a rock food. And I think we did, in the end, we did like the rest of the album, quite a lot of tracks in about, I don't know, five-day session. So it was like years of preparation, years of preparation and writing to get this artist to that point to then record it in in kind of five days, you know. Well, the boat, the, the the yeah. kind of um, bones of it and then going off to different places around the world to kind of finish it off and add things. And then we got strings added and brass added. It's yeah, it's really good. And we tweak, tweaking the lyrics and it's a, it's a really it's quite sad story yeah. actually that runs through the album. Yeah. That album should have had a, a lot more traction, should have had a lot more um, 
kind of would have been great if there'd been some videos and kind of, you know, stuff got released. But um, yeah, it didn't kind of uh, ever get to that point, which is re- such yeah. a shame. She's such a fantastic artist, I think. Great sounding, unique voice and really mm. nice songwriting style. And I think with him, with that band, actually, yeah. if they could have oh, gone out live, would have been I'd great. I'd love to see that. Um, but it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's just like the time yeah. and like he was working other jobs and stuff. And yeah. I always just remember, like, you just think back to sessions, you yeah. think, after that one, it's like, I want to, like, you can't try to consciously remember, like, when there's a good session, you want to take a snapshot of it. Like, for me, for another one, it was a short one, but it was like Nile Deltas. Yeah. I think they came in for three days. You mixed it. And again, they were all playing mm-hmm. live and they just, all really well prepared. Yeah, there's such a great yeah. feeling when a band's in playing live yeah. and it blows you away. And it's just, you know, the hairs stand up and you kind of, it's a different feeling to when you're kind of piecing an album together. There's moments where a band are just in that live room and just hit on something and it got you just go, wow, you know, had it recently with a band called The Joy Hotel from Glasgow. Absolutely blew me away playing their album in its entirety with all the overdubs, all the sounds, so much pre-production gone into it and then just walked in and just played it and you're like, this is yeah, this is special. This is what you can't do in your bedroom. This yeah. is what places like Rockfield are, are made that's the thing, for that's these what moments. About Rockfield is just like it's one of the you know, one of the amazing things about it is it's got all these little rooms and bits and pieces where you can stick an amp in, um, you can set up and just live and there's enough separation or you can have it as lively or as dead as you want, and it always just sounds great. And I love sitting on sessions with other people yeah. just to see how they use the studio because they might approach it in a completely different way. Yeah, it's yeah. good, isn't it? There's um, so many options. I just want to finish there. up. Um, how did you, obviously, like, on the credits, like, we've obviously, I've been working with you for a while now, you've got the, the Leaders Fail on the website, like Nick Bryan, work with Nick. How did you end up with working with Bruce Springsteen? Yeah. Oh. Well, I was about to come to that, John, because that's probably the the biggest highlight. I mean, you know, obviously, What's the Story is the biggest album, and I've, I would always pick that one as probably the yeah. greatest album that I've worked on. Um but my kind of greatest session, I just think because it's something that you just don't ever get to do is work with one of those absolute legends, and uh, which Springsteen is. Um, yeah, bizarre how it came about. So I was working with a band from Philly called um, Murrah from Philadelphia, and uh, Owen Morris was producing. Uh, we were doing the album in Rockfield, and the album went on. They'd and and kind of Springsteen had kind of got into that band on their previous album, and I think. Um, was a big fan of the band. Um, and then they'd gone over for dinner. I think they'd maybe played with him as well and they kind of hit it off. And so he was like, and they they wrote about kind of similar subjects that he, he writes as well and the kind of very earthy, kind of very down-to-earth kind of working-class heroes from um, similar backgrounds and all that. Lovely people. And they, they were making this record that they, because they were big fans of Oasis, they wanted to kind of, get the kind of bit of that attitude into their music and um, they loved that whole 90s sound yeah. plus there's two brothers in the band quite volatile at times but look oh, you just yeah two um amazing human beings um in that as the whole band were as well but um yeah and so anyway they, they had this connection with bruce and then bruce was like well i want to i want to be on the album you know want to play and sing on the album i'd love to be involved we were like brilliant and then uh for various reasons, I ended up um, being the producer on the album and finishing the album. So the last, all the the overdubs and the mixes. And towards the end of that album was the session that Bruce was going to be on. So um, I ended up, yeah, we Bruce couldn't make it to Wales. So we ended up going to New York and we went to the Hit Factory. So somewhere I'd always wanted to work. Um, 
and we started off in the old hip factory um in the second studio maybe with the old with the neve in there and i loved that place because it was kind of like the 70s in there it was all this vintage gear the old neve and it was kind of a bit dark and it had that vibe i was kind of used to of being in a coach house (laughs) yeah exactly it was like the coach house but of course in a in a tower block on um you know 54th street in the center of manhattan so um she's got studio 54 just down the road and I was like only about 26 years old. So being, you know, being in uh, in New York anyway, being in a big studio like that, and then knowing that the next day, like Bruce Springsteen's going to come along and we're doing a session that week with, with Bruce, you know. So the excitement, I mean, there'd been loads of stuff that went on in the lead up to that, which, um, yeah, we won't go into now, John. We'll save that for the book. And uh, <laughs> book's nearly finished, John. We get there. Loads of stuff. So the, just the fact that the whole thing even came off, like the stress and the things I had to go through to make the Springsteen session happen were something else. And uh, yeah, but I wasn't going to not let that happen because this was a chance to, well, I was, but the producers were getting a chance to produce Bruce Springsteen on a record you know okay it's not one of his records but it's the next best thing and uh so eventually get there we're in um yeah say the hip factory the old the old uh, building and uh it was brilliant what what a guy he comes along and we've got a wall of his uh fender twins and hot rods and he's got his tellies and he's got his uh, blonde there as well his blonde telly so you get to play his guitars his guitar tip was like yeah sure man have a go on all these um, so you, and then you're recording guitars, then we're working on vocals and in the evenings he'd take us to his favorite Italian, we'd have dinner and he'd have a private room and we'd have like, everyone would have their own server, champagne, amazing food in this steakhouse in New York that he always goes to. And, uh, yeah, just, just brilliant. And, we, and he, he loved Dave Edmonds and he said, so you, you're yeah. from Rockfield. So we kind of hit it off because he wanted to know all about Rockfield because he'd always wanted to go there and yeah. record there, but never had a chance. And he was a massive Dave Edmonds fan. Right. And I think he played with Dave Edmonds. So he just wanted to know all about Edmonds and Rockfield and what it was like and quizzing the band on Rockfield and stuff like that. So dinner conversations were ace, you know, talking about all those sessions like that. Um, and just everyone had so much respect for him, whether it was the people in the restaurant or people in the street. There was no minders or security. We walked from the studio to the restaurant People would come up, hey, how you doing, Mr. Springsteen? Shake his hand, hey, Mr. Springsteen, lovely to meet you, Mr. Springsteen. Just yeah. the respect he, the man had um, everywhere we went. And and he'd kind of say to me, I was like, oh, you know, he's done all these guitars. What does he, you know, we're going to have to play them all back now. And he just came, you know, would come up and just like tap me on the shoulder and go, you know what you're doing. Just use whatever you want. I trust you. And he'd go off, get a coffee, come back later, play it to him. And he'd go, yeah, yeah, right, ready? Do some vocals on that one then. And um, yeah, brilliant, brilliant time. But yeah, just the respect, like I was in a studio and in that studio, we moved then for mixing and for mixing the Springsteen parts and the record, we moved to the new room, to the SSL room um, further down the street. Um, and then it was just like musical royalty all in the same building. You know, you've got Michael Jackson's in Studio One. I'm in Studio Two with Springsteen. You've got P. Diddy on three and Elton John on four, I think it was. Um, and like, you know, getting to the lift and um, I'm in this the lift, which is like huge. Yeah. And I'm sure it was made of gold. And uh, I'm in this lift. And then this posse all comes in full of bling, everything. I hold the door open. And then this group of people walk in with one really tall guy in the middle. And yeah. the really tall guy in the middle is P. Diddy. 
and he's like, hey, man, how you doing? I'm like, all right, yeah, all right. And then uh, the guy goes, what number? And I say number two, and PDD goes to me, ah, you're in with Mr. Springsteen. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. And he's like, cool, man, yeah, cool, nice. So then so then I get out too. I've got to walk through about 40 <laughs> of them to get out of the lift when he ever It's like, I think he just surrounded himself with like the shortest minders and posse he could possibly surround himself with. So he was really tall. Um but yeah, just the fact that he was like, ah, oh, he knew straight away you're in, you know, if I'm going in there, then I must be in with Springsteen. Um, yeah, couldn't get near Jackson on the bottom yeah. floor, couldn't get anywhere near it. But yeah, what an amazing experience, 26 years of age, you know, working with uh, working with a great band, making a good record and Springsteen's on the album, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it's really funny as well, like just thinking about, obviously you mentioned about Dave Edmonds. I remember that time, I, it might have been on Wonder Days actually, mm. and like, um, Dave popped in to ask you to borrow some headphones and you like Luke and Danny just at the back and go, <laughs> yeah, is that? I think Luke, when Luke in the middle yeah. of a guitar and he's kind of playing and he looks up and all he can think of, <laughs> that's Dave Edmonds. That's, like, Dave, yeah. that's Dave Edmonds. Of course you can borrow headphones. Yeah. Can I borrow some headphones? Yeah. <laughs> just randomly turned out. It happens. Like, you know, I've been, I've been in the session before and like Robert Plant has just walked in and gone, oh, I've come to pick a table I up from that. Kingsley. That's a really good story. Like <laughs> Just random things. You, you, I love that story about like, was it Robert Plant buys a house in Monmouth and he rings up Kingsley? Have you got anything I can borrow? Yeah, any furniture, furniture to go, and he buys this really expensive house. Then wants Kingsley to fit. It. One place I wouldn't go for furniture <laughs> is probably Kingsley's house. <laughs> no, but, yeah, you never know. Then there was also what they're going to want, do you? When you're sitting, thinking, yeah, and it's like the, the reaction. Obviously, like Springsteen has. Um, Thunder have and then whips like goes out drinking with Dave and invites him around the studio the next day and <laughs> he's too hungover like Dave was like, I was going to pop in and see him he's like they're not here <laughs> all asleep to whips it was just a drinking partner you know <laughs> yeah good times but yeah that's yeah. probably like, that's the pinnacle isn't it where'd you go from being in New York with with Springsteen and um, what a guitar player what a singer what mm. what a, what a human being yeah. so that's it for another episode of the Session We Call podcast we have one favour to ask, and that is if you can leave us a rating and a review on the platform you listen to, we'd really appreciate it. And we'll see you all again next time. Cheers, guys. <laughs>